What's up, Benchwarmers? It's a special bonus episode. Second week in a row, we got one of these for you. Uh, we are. I'm recording this actually by myself because when we were recording the episode last night, we had so much fun geeking out over MMA that Nico and our special guest today, Rev, completely forgot to record an intro. But that's why I have this capability. I'm the recorder. I put the, the episodes together. Uh, so we'll still have something for you guys so that we can lead into this episode. Be sure. Uh, actually, I'll just introduce the guest, Rev the Problem Coca. He's been on before if you were a longtime listener of this show or my previous podcast, Center of Attention. He loves his MMA. We always get together and geek out about it, and then Nico as well, now that we have this far into the bench show. So it's basically straight an hour and 20, 25 minutes or so of MMA geek talk. A lot of fun. We do our pick for the main, main card and one undercard for this upcoming weekend, UFC 257, and then we kind of, you know, just build conversations based off that. But if you want to follow Rev, he's on Instagram and Twitter, at RevKoka, that's R-E-V-K-O-K-A. You can follow the podcast on all social medias, at F-E-O-T-B pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. This will be out on the YouTube uh, Tuesday, not Tuesday, actually, Monday night. So instead of the center of attention, it'll be this bonus episode. But be sure to subscribe there. Turn on the notification bell. We're just continuing to grow. we got a lot of big things coming. We're guarding our secrets really close. There's 50 reasons why you should subscribe to us. And, uh, yeah, let's get into the episode. Beautiful girls tell me goodbye. Trucks break down, dogs run off, politicians live and fired by the politicians. what's up? We, uh, second week in a row, we got a bonus episode. We got another former, I mean, not another former guest, a former guest of the podcast. And if you listen to Gunners and Sports Talk Radio, if you were one of like the 10 or, or whatever that, that tuned in, uh, got Rev the problem Coco back, so you know there must be a UFC event going on. We talked huge about card, it. huge, huge card. Yeah. Uh, McGregor, when McGregor fights, people listen. But Rev, thanks for coming back. Glad to have you back. It's been a while since you've been on. So, and I think this is your debut on the Unhinged Sports Network and YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So for like you said before, the ten people who are coming in from the radio show, you know the loyal fans, you already know who I am. But if not, I am Rev Rev Coca. Some may call me the problem, as yep. they like to call me. I was Jimmy's teammate in college at Western Colorado University, and we were just, you know, good friends there, like to chat it up about sports, you know, geeked it up about MMA every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Not a lot of people like to go as in-depth as we do, so I knew that <clears throat> I did, uh, I think it was the Nunes fight was the one that we did for Center of Attention. You were a guest on. Um, and I think Khabib might have been on that card too. Yeah, then we had him. The first time we had him on our show together was with uh, DC versus Stipe the first time. Yeah. Or sorry, sorry the, so, the, the trilogy. Second, yeah. yeah, the trilogy, trilogy fight. Yeah. So, was, oh, wow. was it that or the Adesanya one? My memory is getting a little foggy. There Adis- was, no, yeah. Adesanya was the center of attention that we did. Adesanya yeah. was the main event and Nunez was the co-main. Mm-hmm. Or no, it was mm-hmm. uh, Wei Li Zhang was the co-main. So it was, yeah, yeah, it was a while one. ago because mm-hmm. we that was right when uh, COVID was just in China. Yeah, so, so look where we are now. <laughs> so yeah, once every blue moon, I've made my appearance to <laughs> chat it up. So uh, I mean, yeah. we we know that you might be busy. We don't want to like continually call you back, but we'll start off, I guess, by giving give it. We'll, this will be a good taste as to 
um, your kind of take on, on fighting and everything like that. Nico doesn't want to talk about it. We're going to talk about it anyways. Uh, Nate Robinson, <laughs> do you think he has a career as a, as a professional boxer moving forward? Um, yeah, I definitely think so. Perhaps you could put him oh, in there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said, Nate, you said, did you say yes to yeah, that put him in a, Yeah, put him in a training gym, you know, set him up there as a punching bag, you know, maybe a, a punching a sparring, bag at the most. Maybe a sparring partner, you know, like the third person that goes in is like, okay, this guy's box around. Bring in this guy. Okay, let's bring in Nate just to ease things up. You Were know, you so. watching the same fight that I was? No, I mean, he, that, that makes sense. I, I mean, first of all, like with the whole Nate Robinson thing, I, I have a strong opinion about this because Nate Robinson was a wrong person to represent the nba first of all there's so many better options they could have gone with but nate robinson he just like he went into it like a street fight is he he came into it without like any boxing knowledge just came in like i'm just gonna throw punches and see what happens and he got his ass beat by a youtube star and look what's happening because of it jake paul is getting fat fights everywhere if nate robinson would have respected it a little bit then i would have said maybe but no he didn't respect the boxing at all I mean, I hate to rain down on a three-time slam dunk champion, but... Don't get me wrong, basketball to, career yeah. is, is noteworthy, but boxing career, don't ever do it again. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if he was getting prepared for a boxing match the way he just ran in head first with his hands down. I think he would have got his ass kicked in Kimbo's circuit in the in the backyard barbecue yeah, Mi- brawls. Oh, so. yeah, those Miami backyards. There were a couple there were a couple dogs in there, too. You know, Jorge yeah. Masvidal, Alex Caceres, so some of those guys have known he would have took Nate Robinson to school as well. I think the main thing we got to talk about, do you think Snoop should be a fight commentator more often? Um, More like for casual stuff that's not meant to be taken seriously. And after that one, you know, after that one event with Logan Jake, I'm forgetting the names, but Logan Paul has also had some matches with, you know, amateur boxers and KSI. things like that where mm-hmm. – there's always been a lane for this, celebrity boxing, things like that. So I think Jake Paul just having success with it just shows that in something that's like combat sports where it's a little niche and people don't really follow to act, where there's an audience of people out this that don't necessarily follow it to look at the sweet science of the final art or the finer arts where just send in a popular name and they'll watch it, whether it's Betty White or someone who's actually physical physically capable of doing anything. That's what I think. I mean, the boxing and UFC needs to take the Nickelodeon approach, but the opposite end. Oh, the, add a the, little alternate Nick, Nickelodeon. Exactly. So someone gets knocked out slide. Have it on Spike TV or whatever with, with uh, Snoop Dogg and, and Mike Tyson announcing the fight. The alter version where they can cuss every other five seconds and say whatever the hell they want and then have the actual announcers. And I think we're set. Because I, th- I know there'd be people that, the, that would enjoy the... Um, fun commentary like they did with the Nickelodeon stuff. And then there, there are people that would want to hear the play by play. Um, so I think there's definitely a, there's definitely a way to do it. And I think Nickelodeon as, as, as funny as it was, there was a good thing that they did. That. Yeah, And they did, they kind of did that with the contender series when Snoop Dogg was commentating mm-hmm. with Uriah Faber. That was a little alternate set. Whereas if you had normal commentary, you'd either listen to like Eve Edwards or Paul Felder or somebody. They had Snoop Dogg in there in a back room just getting high with Uriah Faber watching the fights. Yeah, I mean, those are some of my favorite videos on the internet, watching Snoop commentate like animal videos because you know he's blazed out of his mind. Uh, and we might have to change your pick for secondary commentator because Mike Tyson doesn't do anything on camera without being really, really high on mushrooms anymore. That, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and when you get really, really high on mushrooms, you don't really talk all that much. <laughs> that's true. But it's better than what he did with on Zoloft because he bit uh, Holyfield's ear on Zoloft. So I, I guess mushrooms work for him. But, I mean, what did you think of Tyson? Did you, did you Were you impressed with how he looked and, and kind of 
I mean, obviously he didn't look like he did yeah. way back when, but I didn't think that he looked terrible. Jones well, looked bad, but Tyson didn't look bad. Going back to my memory, kind of going in and out of focus once, like after the Nate Robinson um, – Jake Paul matchup. I was kind of going in and out of focus because there's a UFC card on too. But for what I saw, Mike Tyson, he takes care of himself pretty well. Like he, despite, you know, the whole mushrooms and weed thing, he's, you know, despite the stigma around that, he still takes good care of his body. Like mm-hmm. you saw that. Like there was this stint, stint maybe 2008, 2009, where he kind of lost control and got to drinking. But you could tell that like he he's always had a fundamental style and just being in decent shape with someone who is just as shot as he is, he'll be able to show off some, you know, fundamental ability, some impressive athleticism for someone his size and for someone his age. So yeah, somehow somehow he's held up. He did he didn't lose blade as fast as James Harden, but uh, he still looks in damn good shape oh, for a fifty two uh, year old man. I don't know if anybody will ever lose weight as fast as James Harden again. That was that was yeah. incredible. I don't know if he had a pillow underneath his warm up suit or something, but that something. weight came off. I think it was all the strip clubs in Houston and now he's in Brooklyn and he can't go outside because they got a lot <laughs> stricter regulations. But well, that's that's just my, my two cents on it. Uh, I think it was bad for Jones, it made Jones look even worse than what he already did because the last time Roy Jones fought before that, he got knocked out of the ring by some Russian 18-year-old kid. I mean, probably collected a good paycheck. Well, let's let's go ahead. We'll move past the fake fighting and in the, in the the freak shows. This isn't Japan. This isn't Pride. Uh, we got a big UFC card coming up. Like we said, Conor McGregor fighting for the first time this year, first pay-per-view of 2021. Uh, let's start off. Like, what are what are our thoughts on the UFC? how they handled 2020 and all the, the regulations and everything that happened. Because in my opinion, I think it was as successful as you probably could have expected to be without having fans for a, a cage fighting sport. But I mean, what do you think of the organization, how they handled 2020? So what I would say that is that like initially during March or so, when everything started being installed with the lockdowns, I think the UFC was a little reckless. Remember when they were, their first initial plan was to go into some, some Indian reservation in California where they didn't have to go through commissioner regulation, which is not smart when you're dealing with a pandemic disease, to say the least. Like, I'm not saying anything surprising here. But as everything went on and once the commissioners were finally getting behind what Dana White the UFC was trying to do, they had success. And then, honestly, I kind of like the audience or I kind of like there not being an audience, whereas you could listen to what's going on inside of the cage. You could hear people talking trash. Mm-hmm. Kevin Holland, who may have had the best year out of anyone in 2020, is a guy who's notoriously known for talking trash in the cage. And it made entertaining TV just to hear Kevin Holland as someone connects with a punch against his face. Like, oh, yeah, you hit hard, dog, or being in a clinch and while someone's clinching up with him, say, oh, you feel real strong. You're a strong guy. It's just interesting stuff like hearing the trash talk and hearing how, you know, the commentators could, how the commentators can affect and, like, you could actually hear them. Like, I just, it was a unique experience and for, and for the bad card that they had been dealt, the UFC did a good job still providing an entertaining product in the safest way possible during a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, to second that, the Max Holloway fight from last weekend was a great example of that. He was, we could hear every all the shit talking to the corner the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the UFC, in my opinion, from a marketing standpoint and from a sports standpoint, it took off. And I think 20, they, they capitalized on 2020 more than any other sport. Oh, because... They, because 
It got to a point where it's Saturday night. What is on TV? And UFC was for a while. It was nothing. In it was but no, the UFC. It was nothing but the UFC, and that brought so many more eyes to the sport. Obviously, the big names with Connor, John Jones, um, Stipe, DC, stuff like that. People know, but these fight nights, people are getting names for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the Joaquin Buckley. Uh, Ninja kick kick out out of midair. That was all over ESPN everywhere because that's all anyone wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, no one wanted to do that with the UFC. No one wanted to because they were so worried because boxing is the overpower or is the is the um, kind of trumps UFC a little bit because of the history behind it. UFC is still getting their feet wet and trying to build what boxing has always been. Yeah. Um, But UFC, I think, took off big time and. I will say having no fans is, is a cool experience, but watching the fights, we're recording this on Wednesday. I watched the fights this morning, um, and they had half capacity in Abu Dhabi yeah. um, today, and there was a knockout that literally you could hear everyone go nuts from. And I love, I, I, I mean, I love watching knockouts and hearing the fan reaction live mm-hmm. is so much fun. So I love hearing all the smack talking, but that little thing where you can hear that literally the guy's face hit the canvas and everyone lose their mind, there's nothing like it. I mean, I think that the the UFC needed some sort of change to be able to overtake boxing, and this was it because boxing totally fumbled with the whole pandemic mm-hmm. thing. They didn't want events happening for a long time, and then when the UFC came back and said that they were able to do stuff, boxing still was kind of dragging their feet, and uh, they they definitely missed on that. Uh, and I think it depends on what kind of MMA fan you are. Like the three of us are a little bit more in depth than. The casual viewer, so I think the casual viewer probably doesn't misses the live crowd aspect of it. But like when you know some of the aspects, like Rev and I wrestled for a long time. I know your dad; he's really into jujitsu and combat sports and everything like that. You can hear the adjustments that are being made. Um, and I think the biggest example of it was Khabib's last fight against Gaethje because you kind of saw in his head. You're able to like take what he was thinking of. He's like, I got an arm bar. I don't really want to do that. And and then he just kind of transitioned in his head like, okay, I'll pull him into a triangle and just choke him out that way. Um, So I think that's where the – I think the half capacity could be good for now. Obviously, they're going to make more money once fans are back in the stands. But especially if there was like a Mark Henry fighter because Mark Henry calls out the combinations that his fighters are supposed to be throwing from the corner. And that could be something for like a hardcore MMA fan or a guy who knows what's what's going on. That could be something interesting. Mm -hmm. And going back to the comments about whether having full, half, or no crowd is necessarily the best. To clarify, I'm not necessarily against there being a crowd. Like, I actually like the reaction of a knockout or the reaction of Demetrius Johnson throwing somebody up in midair and connecting with an armbar. Like, the reactions to those moments, they're priceless. You know, they're, those are always, like, sound bites that are being played throughout just kind of, like, as flashbacks and memories of the biggest UFC moments. So, like, I like the crowds in those instances. However, at the same time, I could go without the crowds yelling woo over and over or the stand them up, stand them up. Like, in certain moments where yeah. there could be an interesting chess ma- match going on and there's a lot of drunk fans in the front row spilling their Heineken's and Modellos all over the place, yelling for the referee to stand it up. In certain instances, I could go without a crowd. I mean, that's combat sports, though, for you. Boxing has had that problem for years as well. Um, I mean, that's it's just the way it is because people pay for violence, and they expect violence. And, and I think with everything that's happened and, and then the sport growing to where it is, is people are starting to realize more and more. it's They're not 
Because I think what what is the, they've done a really good job with, especially the UFC, is get commentators that know the sport so well that they educate the fans. Because like you said, when you're at an event, you don't hear what's going on. Um, oh, it's a totally different a totally experience different. going than just watching on TV. Exactly. And hearing Joe Rogan, DC, especially Paul Felder as well, yeah, who, who are very experienced and know what the moves, know everything on, people at home are getting educated at the same time as they're watching sport because – Watching two guys lay around is not what everyone wants to see, but hearing the commentators say, okay, this is why he's doing this. Um, he's trying to get this top position or here, and he's trying to do different things with his legs here to get um, sweep underneath. I mean, just little things like that that you don't hear at a live event, which is nice because having it only on TV now educates those those fans that didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping when we get back to full capacity that there won't be as much as that but i mean there still will the people still will be the people that are just trying to see violence it, it'll depend on because uh, the one fight that i remember we went uh, to a card in colorado and it was ben rothwell and mark hunt and they were like oh, i think there were three to five round i, I don't think there were five oh, and that was fights, a snooze fest fight actually, it was not it? good yeah. at not all great, yeah. and they were just laying on each other especially at elevation so <laughs> i think now like what you're saying people are going to understand more and the booing will be more warranted when it's two fat bears that have no conditioning and are just rolling around with each other. Um, UFC landscape, I mean, you're a big Kamaru Usman fan because of the, the Nigerian heritage and, and stuff like that. Mm. Well, well, just real quickly, because I, I wanted to kind of get your take on how you think his title reign's gone. He just, I thought Masvidal would give him a little bit better of a fight back in July, and now he's got Gilbert Burns coming up. Do you think that anybody's going to be able to beat him at 170? Um, I could provide opportunities where I think guys could give him a challenge. Like Kobe Covington, I rewatched that fight, and I don't know if I was a little off, but I, I, you can make an argument for Kobe Covington winning three of those first four rounds, but like it was a competitive one. So you look at Usman, and he is a good dominating clinch grappler. You know, he take people down, and he's effective whether it's getting people with foot stomps and elbows or little little chippy things like that in the clinch or unleashing ground and pound and things like that. But there's a common theme where he faces a grappler, whether it's Covington or Maya, and maybe in this instance, Gilbert Burns. There are times where he may, he may not be as, he may not be as dedicated to the, he may not be as dedicated to the wrestling and go into a striking battle. So it depends if he gets, if he goes up against a grappler who can challenge him on the feet or a guy who can defend the takedowns enough and has enough of a threatening ground game or a guy like maybe even a wonder boy Thompson who had, who is hard to take down and controls mm-hmm. this as well. I don't think those people will be Usman, but I want to be surprised if any of those guys, you know, give have a legit opportunity. Let me throw a name at you. What about Hamza? We've seen a lot from Hamza. I, I think uh, the one fifty five position, one fifty five pound division is the best top to bottom. I think one seventy is second in my opinion because if you look at the the, the list, Usman, like we said, Covington, um, Leon Edwards, who's a fire people are sleeping on because he hasn't fought in a while. Gilbert Burns, he should have got a title fight. I mm. mean, not, not too long ago, um, but Mosfell had to step in because of COVID and everything. Stephen Thompson, Wonder Boy, has his ups and downs. Um, Chiesa looked good just recently against Magny. Magny's a, Magny's a stud. Ty, Tyron Woodley, I mean, yeah, he's on the down, he's on the downgrade. I wouldn't want to see uh, Woodley and Usman again. Yeah, he's on he's on the down slope, but he's still a, um, a a fighter that people have to worry about in that top of the division. So there's a lot of fun mashups, and like we said, Hamzat 
He's just getting his feet wet. Everybody's loving all the knockouts and everything. I think if he's able to slow down Leon Edwards, I think it's March 13th or somewhere in March they have their fight. Um, uh, but that fight I think is could set up for a big future because I think Leon Edwards will get his towel shot either after that or Hamzat will be top five in that division and can make a lot of noise. Yeah, as for that Leon Hamzat Hamzat fight, it's kind of confusing to know exactly is Hamzat a middleweight or a welterweight. He keeps switching back and forth, but I believe in the fact that he's taking a fight against Leon Edwards that he's going to stick around that welterweight. And like you said, I only as to the depth because this is going to be a major test in Hamzat who really hasn't been proven in his UFC career yet going up against a guy in Leon Edwards who's beaten RDA and who's beaten Gunnar Nelson and a guy who operates as smoothly as he does in all aspects of the game. So... That, that's a fight that just proves just how deep the UFC is at welterweight. And like you said, it's one of the deepest divisions. I think anywhere you go from bantamweight, bantamweight all, all up to middleweight, that's like the strong – or bantamweight all up to welterweight, I say, is the strongest bits of MMA that you'll get out of the UFC. And that comes at Leon Edwards fight is a prime example of it. Yeah, that's going to be March 13th. But then also, like the, the Kamza – question is what weight class is he thanks to the guy that we're going to be talking about for most of the show conor mcgregor weight classes don't really matter because i just saw that izzy is going to be fighting yawn for i believe it's just for the lightweight or the light heavyweight title but there's guys going up and down all over and then obviously i saw a video of john jones today and he looks thick like he's no longer going to be able to make 205 (laughs) it's it's incredible how big and strong he is right now so I think we're seeing a lot more of that. Do you maybe, because there are some guys at, at welterweight, but Usman's defended his title enough times. Do you think that maybe if uh, Izzy wins, he goes up and I don't know if he'll ever fight Izzy because of the Nigerian thing. But do you th- see him maybe taking a fight of a guy in a different weight class? Um, right now, I'd have to say that Usman's probably going to stick around at welterweight. It'll be an interesting thing down the line, but I think there's still fights such as. You know, fights such as the Leon Edwards rematch, the Kobe Covington rematch, this one with Gilbert Burns, maybe handle business with those three. And if he's still around, go up to middleweight. But I haven't really gotten the idea or the sense that Usman's that type of fighter who wants to win a belt, maybe defend it once and go up. He doesn't seem to, I don't think he seems to approach the sport with the Conor McGregor, Henry Cejudo type mindset where they just want to fluctuate wherever the money goes. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw another name. I mean, I'm throwing names at people. What about Habib here? Habib, we've seen, I mean, if he does decide to come back, obviously he's retired right now, but he ran through the lightweight division. No one could even hold hold his jock at all. Why not give it a shot and go up one more division and see what you can do? Um, if Usman is dominating the whole division top to bottom um, and and there really isn't a whole lot in the in the lightweight division for Habib. I mean, maybe he gets a rematch with Connor. Maybe he gets a rematch with Poirier, whoever. Or maybe that Ferguson fight finally happens that we've been waiting on 10 years for but Jeez. never happened. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly could see Habib, if he does decide to come back, possibly give an Usman run for his money because I think stylistically that could be a fight that a lot of MMA fans would love. It would be a dream matchup. And not many people would would think about that possibly possibility because of the division Habib's in. But like I said, if he's if he steamrolled everyone in this division and he sees no opponent that he really sees of his liking, and Usman has done the same thing, why not pair both those guys and have Habib jump up one weight class? 
Habib would be able to eat all the tiramisu he wants if he's fighting sure. at 170. He wouldn't have to worry about a weight cut, anything like that. Um, he, yeah, he did say his last fight, too, was one of the hardest weight cuts he's had. I'm, so that could, I mean, could make sure. his life easier at 170. Yeah, I, I think that probably had something to do with his dad not being yeah. around, keeping him disciplined and everything like that. That also might be why he never comes back, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His brother did look good, though, on, today. I watched his I think he has his cousin, Umar. Yeah, yeah, Umar cousin, maybe, yeah. Is it yeah. Nurmagomedov? Yeah. Umar, yeah. I finally got that name right, and then he retired. I, I can't believe it. Um, you know, let's let's go ahead. We can transition into talking about the, the main card because there's a Which lot I of... Which I came here for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's basically why, why we're here. We're going to geek out. The Unhinged Sports Network's been missing MMA for a few weeks now, so we wanted to give the, the people who tune in for that a little bit of their money's worth. What do you think of Conor McGregor just overall, him coming back and kind of picking and choosing his fights? Do you think it's good for the UFC, or do you think it kind of hurts some of these guys, like the guys that have to prove themselves and work their way up? He's kind of stealing the spotlight and stealing shots away from other guys. Mm-hmm. I think that any car that involves Conor McGregor in any way, shape, or form is a good thing for the UFC because for the most part, we get a lot of tweets. We get after the end the end of a main event, wherever it, whether it's a Max Holloway or any relevant fighter who could either fight at lightweight or welterweight, whatever it is, a main event, and they look impressive, Conor McGregor is going to go on a drunken tweeting spree for at least the next two hours. So it's just good whenever Conor McGregor is actually in the business fighting and not doing things outside of the cage or just going on Twitter spree. So whenever Conor McGregor is actually on the card and fighting, it's good for the exposure of the fighters on that card and it's good for the UFC as a whole. Well, I mean, I'll I'll second that 100%. He is great for the sport. He's great for fighting in general. Um, I I was able to go to his last fight last January. That seems like forever ago. Um, But being there for that cowboy fight, I'm rocking my Cerrone shirt. I I promise I keep jerseys going around. So this is my (laughs) UFC jersey. Um, But, yeah, the the thing with with Conor is – UFC is building a brand how it is. And having a star like Conor just be on the front page of everything, he's still a good fighter. It's not like we're seeing – it's not like he's – I mean, Tyron Woodley was good, but he's not what Tyron Woodley is right now. He's on the decline. He still can fight very well. He showed it against Cowboy one year ago um, that he's adding new things to his arsenal and that he can do a lot of different things. And the thing with Connor is I like that they didn't give him a title shot. I I think um, he has to be the main event because of the aura around him. And UFC has gone away from having the title shot be the main event of every pay-per-view, which I like a lot. Um, But Connor. This fight with Poirier, I think, is a beautiful matchup because both guys have a lot more respect. And I believe it was once UFC 178 when they last fought on the undercard. I forgot, I forgot what year it was, but it might have been like seven, eight years ago. Um, but with Connor, everyone, uh, I'm speaking from experience, being at that fight with Cowboys, when he entered the arena, there wasn't a single person in their seat. Everyone had this feel because. It's like when Mike Tyson was walking out. Everyone went dead silent. All eyes were on him. Mm-hmm. And then with Connor, just the way he talks, the way he acts, the, the royalty behind him is great for the sport of the MMA because there's your face. He may not be the champion, but and he does have some things outside. I, of, I was going to say, do you want him to be the face of your organization at this point? I, honestly, I still think it's okay. He has some things that he still has to figure out, but he's still, I mean, he's still been working on it. He has been accused of some things, but – and has done some 
idiotic things on video, of course, too. Throwing a dolly. Throwing a dolly, yeah. Bringing any bells to anybody? Throwing a dolly, then hitting a guy in a bar and a whole thing. But apparently he's trying to figure all that out. And ever since he's had a kid, I think we've seen a different side of him because going back to that cowboy fight, he is – I saw a different person. I I didn't see the fuck you attitude. I saw the I respect you, but I'm still going to kick the shit out of you. And that's great for the sport. Yeah, it, it depends on the mindset, and I think that's kind of – we'll get to it, obviously. I don't want to start with the main event. By the way, if uh, you're listening on Colorcast, thank you for tuning in. We're live. First one's on the unhinged block. Of course, we got to be – we're the podcast of the year, so we got to be the first ones on the unhinged block. So if you are listening, go ahead. You can comment questions. I'll throw them out to the group. Uh, but let's let's go ahead and start off. We're going to do a pick them the same way that we did. Did you find any undercard fights that you wanted to pick? Uh, uh, the McMahon fight was kind of interesting. Maybe we can just talk about that one a little bit. Besides oh, that, yeah. Juliana I mean, Pena, I remember her. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so not a whole lot there, but the, that one's probably the one that I opened me the most. All right. Uh, Sarah McMahon, 12-5-0. Uh, she's a minus-125 favorite on ESPN. I'm not, I, can't, I think they probably get their stuff in BetMGM because that just mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, she, so minus-125. Juliana Pena. Was she one of the strawweight, like the original strawweight contenders no. when that first when that division first came up? No, but she she was on the bantamweight season of the Ultimate Fighter with Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey. That's what it. it was. So she was on the first series of Tough where there was actually a women's bracket. So I mean, Sarah McMahon obviously a, a heavy favorite, the Olympic wrestling background. Do do you think that this is going to be kind of like a walkthrough for her, or or do you think Juliana Pena maybe gives her some mm-hmm. some test? It's hard to say that any fight is a walkthrough with Sarah McMahon when it comes to a fighter who has any bit of jujitsu threat because the thing with McMahon is with this matchup, both her and Pena like to be the aggressors and push out a grappling pace on each other. And in that battle, Sarah McMahon should be able to ragdoll Pena and should be able to win those because she's a more technical wrestler. On the ground, she has a devastating top game. She... She has an arm triangle choke that she likes, or if not, her grounding pound is pretty brutal too. Mm-hmm. However, the thing with McMahon is, like, this is a winnable fight unless if she screws up. But we've seen her screw up where sometimes the, a bit of a front runner's attitude comes on where the first bit of adversity shows up and she falls into a submission or something bad automatically happens where she's dominating Misha Tate in the first round and all of a sudden Tate gets a take, Tate gets a takedown hits her with something hard, and all of a sudden, she's spending all around three on her back. So I I got McMahon winning this matchup because I think she has that wrestling edge, and, and Pena is also prone to making some mistakes on the ground as well. So ultimately, I think with McMahon's stronger wrestling ability, her imposing top game when things are going her way, I think she should be able to win most of the fight and perhaps get a decision, a 29-28-like decision. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're listening on ColorCast, Jimmy Pilato, Nico Bryant, and Rev Coca from the Far End of the Bench podcast, I think, you know, Sarah McMahon's obviously going to have the strength advantage, but sometimes if people rely on that a little bit too heavily, you kind of forget about the other aspects of the game. And and like you said, she's falling asleep before in fights and, and kind of if she, if she gets hit in the face, maybe. And I think Pena, I'm not too sure about what her recent record has been, but I feel like she's kind of in a prove-it stage of her career, especially with her UFC contract. And that's always a dangerous dangerous person to be fighting. Plus 105 as an underdog. So it's, it's basically, I mean, it's pretty, pretty damn close to even money. I, I couldn't 
I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing a, an upset here, and I guess I'll go saying that there's probably going to be an upset. I, I would I pick probably my pick for this one would be Juliana Pena over Sarah McMahon. Yeah, the thing with with Sarah McMahon, obviously she's a wrestler, but Juliana Pena has the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu background, so it's not like she's no slouch on the ground. Um, I think if McMahon. I think I think McMahon will probably try to stay up with her, honestly, because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu background and, and having that lineage, I, I really don't see that um, going her way for that. Um, her uh, Pena's last fight was against uh, Jermaine Duranami, who she lost his mission. But besides that, she's won three out of her last five, um, going back to 2015. So she does have a little bit of a track record, only four losses. Um, I'm, I'm going to go upset here, Pena, too. Like you said, with the plus 110 odds, it's literally a pick em. Like mm-hmm. it, It's what do you see your value in here? And having a plus 110, you kind of want to go that direction because um, of the slight little little advantage there because um, you can get more bang for your buck, and especially mm-hmm. a close fight like this. And I think just when it comes to my pick with Sarah McMahon, the way I look at it, Juliana Pena's A game is what Sarah McMahon does better. Going – Pena will aggressively strike away into the clinch, look for a takedown, look to just make it a dirty fight, mm-hmm. beat you down. I think she's a little nastier mm-hmm. than McMahon, but McMahon also has a, a jiu-jitsu top game at least in terms of submissions that wrestlers like to go after, whether it's like arm triangles, rear naked chokes, shoulder locks, and things of that sort. I think ultimately what Pena is more comfortable doing, McMahon is going to be able to do a lot better, dominate the wrestling exchange, exchanges, generate more control, and win out the fight. I mean, it, it all makes sense. There's definitely a case to be made for both of them. Now let's go ahead. Let's get into the main card. Uh, we're starting off in the strawweight division, uh, 115 pounds, women's matchup. Amanda Hebus, or is it Rebus or Hebus for her? Because uh, Brazilians yeah, go Hebus. back and forth with the H <laughs> and the R. Uh, and then Mariana Rodriguez. Uh, I mean, both very talented. This looks like kind of a... Uh, Maybe it's a prove it fight to see who gets the next shot. I'll I'll go ahead and uh, I'll I'll let you guys talk while I look up the rankings for the female flyweight division. Uh, go ahead, Rev. You can start off. As for this fight, it's a matchup between two promising Brazilian strawweights. Um, Amanda Hebas is kind of turning into more of a fan favorite with her bubbly, excited style, like or at least her personality. You know. Every interview, it seems like she took maybe a double dosage of espresso, crack, whatever it may be. But she is off the wall. She's always happy. She's, you know, she's always, and her fighting style kind of, her fighting style kind of shows that too. Just in terms of her ability to jump on things aggressively when the fight hits the ground, or to, or her striking game that's actually coming together quite a bit early on. Whereas this match with Rodriguez, I think something that's going to lead to Amanda Hebas' win is that although Rodriguez is good and very composed and she's shown the ability on her feet to be a good striker, I think something that she does a little too much is be willing to play the guard game. In her last fight against Carla Esparza, a fight in which I actually thought she won, she lost a split decision in a fight where mm-hmm. she was landing the much better work, but Esparza was just taking her down and Rodriguez was a little too willing to play the guard game in this, and just sat down there for too long. And the judges thought that Esparza was able to do enough for the win. So in terms of Hebus and her grappling ability, I think she'll be able to generate enough top control to win a decision. 
Oh, I mean, with with Hebus, her I think I'm saying that right. Hebus, maybe. Um, probably messed it up completely. Her last fight against Paige Van Zandt, I just remember. Squash match. Yeah, I remember <laughs> her just demolishing her. I remember it, it starting on the feet and Paige just not getting. I mean, she's a kickboxer now, and she had nothing there. And then when it went to the ground, Hebus just dominated, and it was it was night night after that. She had no shot in that fight whatsoever. Um, I like I like Hebus a lot in this fight. Like we said with Rodriguez, she's coming off a loss, which she probably should have won. Um, with only one loss on her record, she does ha- pose as a threat in this division uh, with two with two draws. She could be very dangerous, but like what I saw out of Hebus, um, it's very very hard to pick against her after what yeah. she. I mean, Paige Van Zandt, she, she's she's not the greatest MMA fighter. She's definitely there for her looks. So what? Uh, she's definitely well, there now, for her looks. Well, now she's you don't think that knuckle. she got? Yeah, you don't think that bare knuckle signed her because she's a great fighter? Uh, I, I mean, her husband's a badass. I her, would, yeah, her I'd watch what badass. you say about Paige Van Zandt because yeah. her husband could kick the shit out of it all seems, of us. Yeah. It seems as if his. It seems as if her husband actually absorbed all the remaining. MMA telephone oh, because he actually looks pretty promising as a Bellator fighter right now. Yeah. Where it seems like Paige Van Zandt had flashes of brilliance, but like that completely went away. It mm-hmm. seems as if Austin Vanderford absorbed all of her talent. Mr. Van Zandt. That's, that's who you mean there. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Van Zandt. Um, yeah. I think honestly with the way that she was able to dominate Van Zandt and everybody knows that the UFC wants to push Paige wherever they can because of, of the look and the, the appeal that she has, it was kind of set up for her to fail, and then she dominated the way that she did. Now, she has a chance. I did find it uh, in the in the women's strawweight division. Mariana Marina Rodriguez is uh, eighth. She was seventh. She dropped down to eighth after her last loss. So this could be a chance to get Hebus into the top ten of that division, and then maybe set up some sort of fight. Because right now, it's uh, that division. Zhang Wei Li is the champion. Uh, Nami Yunus is is two. I believe Yun Jacek, uh retired or thinking about retiring after that split decision loss to Zhang Weili, which honestly might have been the fight of 2020. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, that was yeah, one of my favorite th- fights. To yeah, watch. there there was a couple a couple just like that. I mean, you go back to the Dustin versus Gaethje, who also yeah. was a, was a bloodbath. Yep. There's a lot of good fights out of that, but um, with that with I mean with this fight, also you got to think about it's the it ties the biggest odds for an underdog on the main card um, at plus two fifty. Poirier, which we'll get to in a minute, mm-hmm. is the other plus two fifty. Um, it's it's very very surprising. Obviously, coming off a loss and coming off a draw, which she which like we said, we, she should have probably won. Is very interesting odds being at plus two fifty. I think it's it should be more even on that minus three ten for Hebos is pretty steep that's really big that's yeah. that's pretty steep so yeah, there's some underdog value there no yeah, I, yeah i would Rodriguez i would is a stud too yeah this is this is a fight i don't think it ends i think i think there's a i think it it goes the full three rounds um i think we see a decision here again um so i if, if i was a betting man i wouldn't take hebus as the as the for the win i take her to win going the distance so you gotta pair it together because like we said minus 310 that's that's tough odds to deal with yeah and if she does win by points i'm looking on fanduel right now it's plus plus 310 for her uh i mean for fanduel the money line is plus 270 but plus 310 bet mgm and then plus 440 for rodriguez to win by points it could be something pretty interesting uh for my pick i'm going with hebus because i think that the ufc is trying to push her a little bit and they want to get her to that next level and I think that she probably is aware of that. So she knows that she can't have a slip up here. It's got to be something pretty pretty impressive for her to be able to continue to make that move up the ladder in that strawweight division for the women's, uh, which is actually 
now that I mean, since Rousey's left, the strawweight division really picked up steam and might have been the flagship women's division That's for the past couple years. That's the strongest division, or the strongest women's division, without a doubt, right mm-hmm. now. So then, moving on, we have Matt Frivola versus Atman Azatar. 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 Okay, mm-hmm. I, I I tried to put too much flair on that one, and it came back and bit so, me. In it the sounds ass. like some Harry Potter. Which, which uh, Azater. Azater, yeah. yeah. Um, 13 and 0, minus 155 favorite. Frivola, 8 1 and 1 uh, in the lightweight division. I'm not going to lie, haven't seen either of these guys fight, so I'm basically going to go in on this one blind. Don't listen to me on this one. Definitely listen to the two that have been watching. I wouldn't necessarily listen to me either. I think this is a full rev here. Yeah. All right, well, I'll take the lead here. In terms of Azatar and Frivola, I've seen bits of them. But in terms of Atman, Atman Azatar, I think there's a chance that you could actually go against Azatar and pick Frivola as an underdog here. I think there's un- underdog value simply from the fact that we haven't seen much of Azatar outside of the first round because he's bricked up, he's muscular. In his two UFC fights, there were first-round knockouts. He's a power puncher. And if, you, if you just looked on his record, there's a lot of early first-round, second-round finishes. Where there's definitely... a there's definitely a good chance of Azatar going out there, maybe hitting Favola, knocking him out clean with something really hard early on in the fight. Because and Favola's only loss in the UFC was it was a 50 second knockout loss, and that matchup with an opponent who likes to start off really fast is the best isn't the best of recipes. However, I think there's an underdog value in that Favola's a He's a scrappy guy. He he could box a little bit. He's shown off some wrestling ability as well. He works at a high output and likes to apply pressure. And if he could survive the first round, who knows what version of Azatar we'll get because he's bricked up, he's muscular. You know, as Joe Rogan always points out, guys with big muscles tend to get tired a little quicker. So yeah. if he survives the first round, I think Favola could get going and push a pace and just make these uncomfortable. So I might, yeah, I'll go with the underdog here with Favola. I mean, we're, we're looking back, looking at these uh, Favola's um, last couple fights, he hasn't fought since 2019. I do remember his last fight now because he did fight against the guy who looks like Bob Ross. Yeah, Violent Pena. Bob Ross. Yeah, Violent Bob Ross and Pena, or El Pena, I don't remember his first Luis name. Luis Pena. Luis Pena. And I, I do remember looking at that, watching that fight and thinking, I don't think he won. I think it was a very toss-up fight. Yeah. Um, having that layoff since 2019, I mean, he is a former Dana White Contender Series guy, and I love my Dana White Contender Series. Um, so I do got to give him a little credit there. But I think Oddman is just, just – then UFC, or especially Dana White, put him on the main card for a reason. And him being undefeated, they're trying to create a new star. And yeah. and, and with this division, I think he could possibly do that. Being 13-0, having that um, different background, that different nationality that a lot of fighters don't come from. I think Ottman stays on track here um, and gets another win. It's probably closer to home field advantage for him, too, mm-hmm. being in Abu Dhabi. So uh, I will say... Your your point about muscled up guys kind of going early, it hurts to say, but that's kind of what happened to, to Carwin. That's kind of was the downfall of his uh, career. Everybody, if you know me, per, like my dad played with Shane Carwin at Western, um, and then I we got to go watch him train, and I used to love watching him fight because it was a really quick night, and it was always a highlight reel, some sort of highlight reel knockout. I remember his debut. He, he basically knocked the mouthpiece out of the cage. Um <laughs> But, I mean, if a guy hasn't fought since 2019, you had all of 2020 and they didn't put you on a card, this is basically – it looks like Dana White's kind of feeding him to the wolves. Oh, so yeah. this is going to be a clean sweep for Ottman. 
on all three of us. I, well, I mean, Rev went with the underdog here. He did pick Revolta. Oh, yeah. you picked. He, 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 he I, th- picked I thought you were underdog. just saying that it was a good underdog line. No, I, I went. I went for Vola. Okay. I don't know. If I, I had to mix it up. One, I feel like I go with the favorites too much, and I can maybe see a fight scenario going where Favola drags him into deeper waters. So, yeah. I think maybe. I mean, even even if it does go a little bit later, and, and he Favola doesn't end up winning. That would be huge for the UFC. The UFC wouldn't mind that either because then Ottman gets the experience that he needs to possibly move up in this very, very stacked lightweight division. It's going to take a lot for anybody to kind of make that move other than the top five, five, six guys. Yeah, with with, with a win here, he'll probably get a number next to his name, though. Probably. Uh, Looking at the bottom half of the lightweights, Michael Chandler came in as number seven. and now we'll since, get to him in a minute because yeah. that, that's going to be yeah. a fun conversation. Um, Paul Felder and Conor McGregor are 9 and 10 in the lightweight division. So I, I could maybe see him, especially depending on how the co-main and main event goes, I could see him maybe moving up a little bit. And Paul Felder, I like watching him fight because I, I think that he's a good fighter, but I think it's probably time to for him to transition full-time to the booth. Um, so Rev goes for Vola. Nico and I are going Azatar. Nico and I are probably going to look like idiots because Rev schooled us in the last MMA pick. That's true. I'm, I did get put in the dirt on last the last pick em. I just got lucky in a few of them. Uh, thank you guys. If you're listening live on ColorCast, be sure to go back, go and listen to this episode when it comes out. It'll be on the far end of the bench on demand, 10 a.m. Mountain Time Friday, and then it'll be replayed on the Unhinged Sports Network, which is the the block that you're listening on ColorCast. It's the main network um, at 11:30. But let's move on now. Another women's fight. This one, again, in the uh, this is a flyweight, not strawweight. Joanne Calderwood, the, the really tough Scottish woman, and Jessica I. Jessica I has kind of been floating around ever since. You know, she had a couple big time fights, didn't really make the most out of those. And, and Calderwood, I remember seeing her. She was pretty much in, in the public eye for a while. And looking back at her last few fights, she's also won three out of her last five. Um, but we won't start with the MMA doctor on this one. I'll go ahead and give my, my thought on this. I'm looking at Calderwood and I I think that this one is going to be a a tough fight to call. Just same thing that we were talking about with Rodriguez and not Rodriguez and Hebus McMahon and Pena. The line doesn't give too much away either side. Minus 120 favorite, plus 100 underdog. Uh, it's basically going to come down to who had the better performance in their last fight. Jessica Eyes also coming off of a loss. So both these women are, are fighting to keep their top spot in that division or, or keep somewhere around the top spot in that division. I'm going to go with Calderwood because what I've seen from her I really liked. I think that she's aggressive and she's able to put people away when she needs to. And Jessica I in the big moments hasn't really stood out to me um, in in the big moments. Yeah, I mean, with, with Jessica I, the real question is, is she's going to make weight? <laughs> that, I yeah. mean, that, that's the real question we should have here. Is she even going to make weight? And is she even going to keep half her purse? Um, that's the problem. She's had a lot of problems with um, – with keeping her keeping her weight down and making weight, and her last fight against Cavillo, who um, who went up a weight class, she she got dominated. Um, I'm I will be I beg to differ if I'm picking I here. I'm going Calderwood here. Like I said, I don't know a lot about Calderwood, but what I've seen from Jessica I, she is getting older. I think she's on the back end of her career, and um, her her window of winning a championship I think is past. 
Um, and her inability to make weight, we could see you know, honestly, if she doesn't make weight again and she loses this fight. We could see UFC possibly letting her go. Um, uh, cause, cause she's been a problem thus far. She is a great fighter. She does put on great fights, but, um, her, she, she loses two in a row, um, loses three out of the last four, especially, um, we could, we could see a possibly release here. Cause I mean, obviously her, one of her two fights, three fights ago, her last fight was against Shevchenko and that was a annihilation yeah nobody's gonna come close to Shevchenko yeah that was annihilation and they're trying to get new blood and Jessica I giving Calderwood a fight like Jessica I sets Calderwood up to possibly contend eventually mm -hmm. uh, I think that's what their your Dana White and, and Fertitas are trying to do here um, but I, I don't think the UFC sees I as a contender anymore I think her windows passed so I'm going with Calderwood evaluating where both of these two are at in their career Joanne Calderwood is always been a fighter who is somewhat physically limited, isn't the best athlete that you're going to find in the strawweight division. But what she does do is she's able to push a very high output, more of a kickboxing style. She she can really mix it up with the teeps and the punch combinations. As a grappler, she's gotten better, but she's fallen victim to fighters who can push a grappling pace. Mm. People like Calvillo or even the weird fight last time against Jennifer Meyer where she landed a takedown but got caught caught with an arm bar from the top position so she could be caught a little bit on the ground but i don't think jessica i will be the person that'll catch her in that position where where i's at it's interesting because as a bantamweight she was going out there pushing out that boxing style game plan going out with combinations and things like that but at flyweight i think she started falling in love a little bit with the size advantage she has that she's she goes out there and tries to pressure wrestle a little bit even though she's technically not the best wrestler out there in the world so. which is strange because she's she's fighting out a steep pace camp right yeah and it seems like i don't know if it's because she's not focusing on the boxing as much but it seems like as if some of the combination work and stuff that we saw at bantamweight isn't translating as well at flyweight now that she's trying to pick up more rounded aspects of her game. And I think in this matchup, Calderwood is going to be able to, when they're not grappling, just light her up with flurries, mm -hmm. outlander, outworker. And I think for the MMA community, they're going to be happy to see Joanne Calderwood pull off this one because Jessica I is one of the more unliked fighters on the UFC roster. Yeah, nobody likes it when you're not disciplined enough to make the weight that you're contracted to. Even even when fighters give up their purse or anything like that, it's not a good look for the organization as a whole. And there's a hypocritical aspect of there because there's a few years ago where I believe she was supposed to fight Aspen Ladd and went out this video saying, you don't deserve to call yourself an MMA fighter or if you miss weight, you should be fired. Like she said something along those lines. And then years later, we fast forward to late 2019. She misses weight against Viviana Raujo, who... I believe had a win earlier today. And then the next fight against Cynthia Calvillo misses weight again by a good three or four pounds. So it wasn't like she was close either. So, yeah. No, I, I think that that's a huge thing, especially for the hardcore MMA fans. If you don't make weight, there's no time for you left. Um, now let's move on to the co-main event because the co-main and main event, obviously that's what people are coming to see. But there's a lot of there's different reasons for each of these fights. Uh, starting with the co-main event, lightweight fight, it's basically set up so that if one of the two in the main event fall out, hopefully, knock on wood if you're listening, um, that doesn't happen. But Dan Hooker, Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler's UFC debut, and he has to fight Dan Hooker, who I'll, I'll find him 
in the lightweight rankings. This is not, it's not like it's a cakewalk. Dan Hooker's sixth in the lightweight division. Michael Chandler's seven right behind him. Just coming off a KO victory of Benson Henderson in August uh, in Bellator. Benson Henderson's at the back end of his career. So, Well, I mean, it's yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not as impressive as it would have been when Benson Henderson was uh, getting show, showtime kicked back in WEC. But I think there's a lot of intrigue to this fight just because there's probably a good portion of UFC fans because UFC is the more mainstream, not necessarily as many hardcore fans that don't know what Michael Chandler is going to bring to the table. And they've seen Dan Hooker in the last few fights. Everybody knows that his fights are always exciting. They're violent. There's a lot of blood in everything that he does. But I think people are, are kind of sleeping on the fact that Michael Chandler is a world-renowned fighter. And now he's kind of carrying that pressure of we got to make I got to be the one that shows that these guys outside of the UFC do have a chance to come in and be successful. So there's a, a lot of different storylines coming in with this one. I'll go, I guess I'll start with you, Rev. Dan Hooker, Michael Chandler, what do you see happening? We were talking a little bit on the car ride over, but go ahead and, and give the people what, what you think is going to happen. So before I make my prediction, I just want to make it clear that I hope Michael Chandler at least shows his worth as a fighter in the UFC because for just too often you you see and hear about the stigma that MMA fans like to hurl at fighters who had success at other big MMA organizations, whether it's Justin Gaethje coming in from World Series of Fighting or Michael Chandler coming from Bellator or all the Strike Force fighters. Mm -hmm. There's like this stigma where people are saying, these are minor league champions. Once they come to the UFC, they're going to be exposed and this and that. Oftentimes they're wrong, but in this case with Michael Chandler, I hope he does prove his worth. However, in this fight, I think there's a recipe for Dan Hooker to take Michael Chandler out early. If that doesn't happen, there's a chance that if that doesn't happen, Chandler could control with his wrestling and because he is a good, solid, capable wrestler. He's got a top game. He could also threaten with submissions that you often see wrestlers go after with the arm triangle chokes and the rear naked chokes. Mm. So he has the ability to make this fight competitive. However, early on in fights, we've seen him get clocked. We saw him get killed in the first round against Will Brooks. We saw him get killed in the first round against Patricio Pitbull. He's a solid athlete, but he's a solid athlete. He's improved as a boxer through his career. He's an explosive wrestler, but he leaves himself open early in fights to get clipped or something. And Dan Hooker's a guy, we've seen him knock people out early with hard punches. He throws a good intercepting knee where he's got to be really flexible because when he throws those knees, he gets a lot of height and elevation into it. And I think this is one of those fights where we're going to see early in the first round, Michael Chandler perhaps slipping, ducking, or shooting a takedown into a Dan Hooker knee. I mean, that's kind of what kept Dan Hooker, uh, the last fight that I really remember paying attention to was his fight against Felder, and that was basically what kind of pushed him over the edge. He was able to get those big shots when Felder was going in for a takedown or or ducking and and trying to find an opening. So I see what you're saying. Honestly, the wrestler in me and the fact that I've listened to Michael Chandler on a few different podcasts probably skews my decision a little bit. And like you said, I want him to come in and prove that there's more – organizations out there worth their salt than just the UFC because I think there are a lot of guys in Bellator and and the lower kind of organizations that are able to to compete at this level. I think my my one issue that I see with Michael Chandler is that maybe there is a little bit too much pressure on him 
maybe the UFC didn't give him the most favorable matchup to start off with. And really, I thought Ben Askren was going to come into the UFC. I know he was a lot older than than he should have been when he made his debut, but I, he wasn't nearly as dominant as I thought he was going to be. He had a sketchy win against Robbie Lawler, and then obviously everybody remembers the KO that uh, Mr. Mosvidal gave him, one of the fastest in UFC history. The fastest. The fastest in mm-hmm. UFC history. I'm going to go with Michael Chandler. I think that Dan, I said it on the show that you're able to listen to now, so go back and listen to episode 24. I think that he's a little bit overrated, Dan Hooker is. I like Michael Chandler in this fight. He's a plus 105 underdog, looking at the line on ESPN. So I think that there's a lot of intrigue there. If you know Michael Chandler, this could be where you make a little bit of money because you have a little bit more knowledge of his background. And and Dan Hooker, very exciting fighter, but he's not necessarily always going to win those exciting fights. Look, this is fight of the night. I'm telling you right now, this is fight of the night. I don't care what anyone says. I wish this fight right now, I wish it would have been a headliner for a fight night. Because I wish I would have seen five rounds of this. Because I think we're going to get robbed, and it's only it's going to go the distance, and we're going to see a bloodbath, and we're only going to get three rounds of it. Because I think right now, between these two guys, they're both going to come, come out swinging. And Mike Chandler, he's he's he, he's hearing what everyone's saying. Mm-hmm. He's hearing that everyone thinks that he this is a gimme matchup and that Hooker should dominate him because Hooker is the next big big guy in this division. Um, and when it comes to Mike Chandler, he hasn't had he's had a few losses recently. And he's not where he should be. But with Michael Chandler, the dude is his training regimen and the 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 way he thinks of going about fighting, especially. I think he has a different mentality right now, especially his first fight in the UFC, yeah. because there was there was originally talks about him. He was the replacement for. Habib and uh, Gaethje not too long ago. He made weight, and telling me he, or considering he made weight two months ago for a fight that he wasn't even in, prepared to go in there for war against one of those two men. That gives me all the confidence in the world in him. Mm -hmm. Dan Hooker coming up. Dan Hooker. I remember his last fight against against Poirier, and that was an absolute war as well. Mm -hmm. That could have been fight of the year, honestly, as well. but I like Chandler a lot. The one thing Hooker guys go has going for him is the four inch height advantage. Mike Chandler is only five foot eight at six foot. Dan Hooker has a big reach as well, um, going a four inch reach advantage too. But I like Mike Chandler here. I think he's going to prove himself. Hooker, I think. I honestly, I think I think the um, hype is getting into his head a little bit because everyone thought he steamrolled Poirier his last fight. Um, everyone thought Poirier after his loss to Habib that he was on the downslope and that. Uh, he wasn't going to be able to run off wins again, but Poirier came in and won an absolute brawl. Yeah. And for that reason, I'm going Mike Chandler here. Um, like I said, I think it'll go the distance. I think we're going to see a bloodbath. I wish this was five rounds um, so we could see an extra ten minutes of this fight. Uh, but either way, I think both these guys, Hooker, he won't fall off that far. He'll he'll come back up. He'll probably, honestly, he might get the loser of Poirier, um, McGregor. He might see a rematch there, or he might get um, – one of those other other great lightweights, maybe a Gaethje fight or something soon. Um, so there's a lot of interesting fights for both these guys, but I'm going to go Chandler. Well, the thing about Dan Hooker, because I think we spent a lot of time covering, you know, 
Michael Chandler's game, but a thing that impressed me a lot about Dan Hooker's game is he's just a sniper. Like he finds that clean shot just mm-hmm. to knock you out cold with. He'll hit you with hard straight punches or he'll time you with a knee right as you're dipping into the pocket and things like that. He's very, tough. He's very scrappy. unorthodox striker. Yeah, he's ridiculously tough. He's hard to put away. He's scrappy on the ground. He's a, he's tricky. He's got his own submissions that he could go to sometimes and could Fend himself off in the wrestling department, though, that Chandler will definitely hold an advantage there. But I just think with the ability of Dan Hooker to catch people on the button and Michael Chandler's tendency to get hit on the button early, I think that plays in Dan Hooker's favor. Does anybody think that Michael Chandler may be making his debut a little bit past his prime? He is 34 years old. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's different. It's not like heavyweight. Heavyweights kind of hit their prime when they get to mid-30s. Maybe, you know, the years of weight cutting, he was a wrestler before he started fighting in the MMA. I don't know. That kind of that kind of worries me a little bit. But also with Nico's thinking that it's going to go the distance, Dan Hooker by points is plus 320. Michael Chandler by points is plus 260. Take your pick as to who you think is going to win, but definitely um, put I, – I wouldn't mind putting a little bit of money on either of those because that's that's a good return on, on that. But where do we think Michael Chandler is age-wise coming into this his UFC debut. Honestly, I think age is just a number, especially in UFC, because like we said, um, fighters go into their late 40s sometimes. Or, 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 sorry, not late 40s. Late 30s. Got it. They went to late 40s. They're Aaron Rodgers' age. Oh, God, yeah, 38. Um, I don't think that's a problem at all. I think, obviously, it would have been nicer for him to um, come over to the UFC a little earlier. I think another person that we could talk about this with is Roy McDonald, because during his prime, he left Bellator, and if he, he right now in this middleweight division, boy, would that that'd be a lot of fun, fun different matchups there. Uh, but going back to Mike Chandler, I'm not too worried about it. I think he's com- he's coming in obviously younger than Askren, and he still has legs underneath him. He only has 26 fights under him. Dan Hooker at 30 years old has this has the same it has has. Excuse me. Three more fights in him, mm-hmm. so it's not like he has a lot of wear and tear. He's been smart about it. Obviously, the last couple fights, he's he's looked a little bit older. Um, but like I said, coming to the UFC, there's a different feel to it because obviously the Fight Island aspect of it, the Dana White aspect of it, the fact you're on ESPN aspect, it's a different, whole different spotlight on you. And Mike Chandler has been waiting for that because when he, he dominated Bellator, he was was the man over there for so long and no one gave a damn about him. No yeah. one. No one gave a damn about him because he was in Bellator because he was in the secondhand organization. I think now this is different than Askren because Askren came into the UFC thinking I'm already better than all these guys. I don't care. And then he ran into real competition and it just did not work. Mike Chandler has the has the has been proven and has done very well. He's dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and now come to the UFC, he's gonna have that stigma of can he he's he's gonna he's Mike Chandler has the opportunity of breaking the stigma that the UFC is the only legitimate. MMA organization that it's them and everybody else. I think Michael Chandler could break that stigma a little bit and show that the lower, not necessarily lower, but the other companies such as Pride, such as One FC, um, and Pro or Pro PFW, right? I think it's called. I don't know. PFL. PFL. Yeah. There it is. PFL um, have the different different options. So um, I think he has something to prove. And for that reason, I think he's going to be just fine. Age is, like I said, age is just a number. He's the Cincinnati or UCF of MMA yeah. this weekend. <laughs> yeah, so the UFC purist fans, I'm sure they would have liked to see Michael Chandler go to the UFC much earlier than 34. But 
when you look at where he is right now compared to where he was before, like his strengths are still there and still prevalent. His weaknesses and where he lost fights before, I think the Michael Chandler that lost to Will Brooks, the Michael Chandler that lost to Eddie Alvarez, it's still that's still the Michael Chandler that we've seen today. The Michael Chandler that we saw knock out Patricky Pitbull and the guy who we saw knock out Benson Henderson in the How rematch. How many fucking Pitbulls are in Bellator? Well, there's his brother. There's Patricio, yeah. who's a featherweight champion, and he's on fire right now. And then Patricky, who more of the journeyman type, hasn't had quite the success that his brother has had, but there's two Pitbull brothers. But regardless, the Michael Chandler that we saw then, the guy with a with a heavy right hand, with an explosive double leg, and a monster in a clinch once he gets his hands wrapped around you. Like the guy that we saw back then is still, he's still there. Like we haven't necessarily seen signs of him slowing down. He just sometimes gets caught getting a little too overly aggressive, but the guy he was then is still the guy he is now. So I, I don't necessarily think that, we're getting a shot version of Michael Chandler. He's ready to go right now. And I mean, he has five losses on his on his record, but his, he's only had one loss since 2017. For I mean, if that's four years without a loss, or excuse me, it's only one loss. That's got to go in the mindset. That one was of controversial. It. Exactly. So that that's one. that that goes into the aspect of it all too. And Dan Hooker coming off the loss against Poirier. Obviously, Poirier is an absolute stud. But um, either way, I think that plays into a little bit too. Yeah, I mean. And Michael Chandler is the best version of a wrestler, MMA fighter, a guy that can stop a takedown if he needs to, can take you down when he wants to, and then obviously carries that big right hand and, and the mental toughness aspect as well. I think, I mean, I agree with you. That's probably going to be fight of the night. I, it, it hurts me to say because I, I've kind of grown to love Poirier, and this will be a good transition into talking about the main event of UFC 257, another another fight island. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in on ColorCast, by the way. I'm going to continue to say it because it's a live interface, so i, I got to give them love and, and all that kind of stuff. Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor rematch. This time it's at 155, not 145. And now Conor McGregor's the odds-on favorite. The guy, he's, he's the prodigal son of MMA at this point. He's basically a partner with the UFC with proper whiskey and all that kind of stuff. Uh, like we said, has has had some run-ins with really dumbass things that he's done throwing the dolly and and he he got some more allegations coming his way Poirier has basically been you know that first fight I think Poirier wasn't ready for it it was a big magnitude fight and and McGregor got in his head I think oh yeah he got into yeah, his head big I mean, time big time I mean yeah. it, you can see it during the weigh-ins during yeah. the pre-fight hype Dustin Poirier was his head was not on straight that night at all no he he wanted to go in there and take McGregor's head off which is basically why he does that and and it's what made him what's made him so successful this is a very different Dustin Poirier that we're getting now he's been through some wars he's kind of proven him proven it to himself that he can be at this level didn't just fought for a title a few years ago, made it three rounds with Khabib, which a lot of people weren't expecting him to go that long. Uh, like we said, Khabib's probably going to go down as one of the pound for pound greats of all time, especially he's the be- he's the best lightweight of all time, hands down. Twenty nine and zero, never even lost a round. So that that sets the stage as to what our picks are going to be: Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. Right now, McGregor on ESPN is a minus three ten favorite, Poirier plus two fifty underdog. Um, so, what are our thoughts on this one, guys? This will be the the last pick of of this UFC 257 pick'em. Um, as for 
This matchup, like you said, Poirier is definitely in a much better place. He's not going to come in the fight with his pants on fire like how he did a few years ago, getting sparked in the first round. However, I just think with his aggressive pocket punching style that that's going to lean himself into McGregor counters again. And I could see a scenario where either in round one or round two, Conor McGregor jumps on Poirier early and is able to get the matchup. I think we're going to get a version of Conor McGregor who is going to be more motivated to fight this guy than in comparison to fighting a guy like Khabib where he knows he's going to spend a lot of time with his backup against the fence. I think a fight like this is going to get him up a little bit more. And while I see scenarios where if Dustin Poirier can make things dirty, survive some early onslaughts in the first round, and make it into more of a pocket-punching battle where he's pressuring forward, making things uncomfortable, making McGregor work, I can see a scenario where Poirier breaks Conor down as time goes on since McGregor's gas tank has always been a little questionable and a little suspect. I can see that scenario happening. However, I just think with... The aggressive style of Poirier getting in there, trying to get in the pocket and make things happen. He's going to open himself up for McGregor's step-back counters. He's well-known and famous for that, the that slip. Left the, hand. Yeah, the counter, you know, the slip counter left hand, mm-hmm. the straight punches, the attacks that he throws with his left from his left side as a southpaw. Just his ability, like, he's one of those guys where People say that there are fast starters, there are slow starters. McGregor is one of the historic, historically is one of the fastest fighters you will, fastest starters that you will find in the UFC. As soon as the, as soon as the fight starts, he's finding opportunities to counter. He's pouring on you. I just think with how hittable Poirier can be in the first round, he was getting lit up a little bit by Dan Hooker. He lost the first two rounds of that fight. Mm-hmm. I just think with the openings that he gave early against. Uh, Dan Hooker, Conor McGregor is going to make him pay for him. I mean, li- listen to these. Since he fought Conor McGregor, he has beaten Dan Hooker, Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gagey, Anthony Pettis. Um, going back to Joe Duffy, he's only lost twice since that last Conor fight. One against one of the arguably, arguably one of the best fighters of all time in Habib. And the other one was a Michael Johnson KO. That That's kind of an outlier. Um, he has fought Murder's Row, and he's fought anyone he put in front of him. Mm-hmm. And this this fight, along with the Habib fight, championship fight, this is a fight the UFC gave him out of honorary reasons because of the way the person that the way he's handled himself off the off the um off the mat and how he's handled himself in the octagon facing whoever. Um this this is a fight Poirier deserves. He's gonna get a big payday out of this. But it's Conor McGregor. It's oh it's it's Mystic Mac it's the pro- it's it's the dude that runs basically the UFC at this point because everything right now the UFC is in a better state when he is winning and when he is on top of his game and what I saw last January if I see a sliver of what I saw last January from Conor McGregor when he dominated Cowboy he is winning this fight easily and I hate saying that because I love Poirier yeah. I think Poirier is a, such a great fighter and such a great human being off the off the or outside the octagon. Um, but I think Connor right now, like I said, he's he's taking a different attitude into this into this game. He's boxing more. He's working on his ground game a little bit as well. He's doing little things here and there that sets him up again for another Habib rematch. And he wants it bad. He wants it badly more than anything. And Poirier, he has a lot more respect for, and he has a lot he has a lot more courage. Or excuse me, they have a lot more respect. Um, 
there's there isn't a, a line in the sand. They're they're they res, they respect one another. They they look out for one another. It's not like I hate you. I'm gonna kick the shit out of you. Like I said, it's, it's nowhere near what the first fight was. Exactly. And that first fight, um, Connor exactly said he was completely in his head. And like I with, with Connor having this different mantra and different attitude of. I'm going to go out there and win, but I'm going to be respectful, but still talk shit in my own way, but not go after your family. I think that's a different, we're seeing a different Connor. Cause I think after the Habib incident and everything that happened there where you guys ass kicked, I think it flipped a switch. Cause I think directly after that's when all the allegations started coming up and everything got worse. And ever since having a kid, like I said, I think he's taking the next step and we're seeing a different, the second coming of Connor. And he has, he's, he's having a more methodical approach to things now. He is. He's. He's training a certain ways. He's being careful who he t- he lashes out to. He's not going after Jake Paul. That's the most important thing. <laughs> he's not giving him the time of day. Um, maybe that's something we'll see after the fight or whatever. But he's not giving people the time of day that don't deserve it. He's being methodical like he is, and like his fight game is showing that he's being methodical. He's not being reckless anymore. When he was trying to be here with Habib, where he could just do that because he was just better than everyone else. Now he's realizing. I have the, the these guys are just as good as me, so I have to be methodical on how I beat people and do different things like that. Those, I mean, going back to those shoulder punches against Cowboy, that's something I I've never seen before, and some of the craziest, one of the craziest knockouts I've ever seen, um, and abrupt finishes to a fight I've ever seen, and the, that and that showed me those those shoulder punches that he's figuring out new things. He's figuring out new things, and a Conor McGregor who's determined to get another title shot and get back to the top is a very, very dangerous man. Yeah, I mean, second coming of Conor McGregor, pause on that one. Yeah, um, pause on that. But it all depends on what versions of each fighter show up to this one. Because if Dustin Poirier, who beat Max Holloway and who beat Dan Hooker, shows up, it could be a very interesting night, and there could be a lot of people who put money on Poirier going home happy. And then also Conor McGregor, who fought Nate Diaz the first time, or Conor McGregor who came in against Khabib and thought that he was just going to be able to do what he did all the way else throughout his career. That's a very, you know, that's a scary, not a scary fighter like he is when he's coming in when he, when he did against Cowboy, where he was focused, that was going to be his thing to do. So it, it all depends on which fighter shows up of each guy. I want to go, I mean, personally, I'm going to pick Poirier because I want to see the under, underdog win. I want to see the upset, and I, like you said, he's a great guy. I want to see the great guys have success, and this is one of his bigger chances of having that kind of success. Either way, he's going to have way more respect and, and move his career forward. He's still going to be around the title picture no matter what, but it, this would be like that signature win on a career that he's had that's been pretty great so far, and, and this would be kind of just the icing on the cake. In addition to your question about you asking where these people are at in their career, another interesting question would be how exactly they approach this fight. There's been lots of you know rumbling between MMA analysts questioning, would it be a good idea for Justin Poirier to try to go out, maybe clinch him up early, you know, wear his arms out a little bit? And while there could be an opportunity there, that's not typically something that's within Dustin Poirier's tendencies. Last time I could maybe think about him going out and utilizing some of his wrestling and ground and pound was probably in the Joe Duffy fight. So that's not necessarily something that he does very often. So I don't think he'll necessarily go to that. However, something that he can do is I think he's going to excel more in terms of phone booth fighting and fighting 
Dirty boxing. Up, yeah, like inside inside boxing. If he makes it a pocket boxing matchup where he could close the distance and make things a little uncomfortable, like Dustin Poirier excels there. His combinations from up close. Mm-hmm. He has an ability to block parry shots from the phone booth and land some hard counters as well. So I think if he's able to get inside, make it an inside pocket boxing matchup, I think he... I think that matchup favors Poirier. However, with McGregor, he's more of those guys that he likes to fight out of a longer range. He likes to hit you with long counters as you dart in. Mm -hmm. He'll push you back with kicks up against the fence and kind of keep a certain distance between himself and his opponent. So it's kind of the matchup where who controls the range. If Poirier could get inside pressure, you know, land his flurries and combinations from the pocket, is his matchup to win. If McGregor could keep things long, land those hard kicks that he throws, hits people with intercepting counters on the way in, that's his matchup to win. So yeah, it's just a matchup of the, range. Yeah, yeah Connor's going to look for the big shot, and Poirier is going to try to jab back and forth and get the decision one, in my opinion. For Poirier to get this, is probably going to have to go all five rounds. Connor is definitely trying to prove a point, in my opinion. That's That'll bring me to my next question. Uh, last one specifically about this fight. Will the fight go the distance? Right now on FanDuel, yes, it's plus 320 that it will go the distance, and no is minus 480. So obviously the odds makers don't think that it will. Um, I, I know that you, you think that McGregor's going to win, and for McGregor to win, it's going to be a, a knockout. But, Rev, do you see a way that McGregor maybe wins but in a decision instead of instead of a knockout? I think if the fight goes a distance, it, it'll get gradually worse for Conor McGregor. So McGregor's going to have to get the finish. That's what I see happening. And, yeah, I think the people on the minus 480 side, you know, that's it doesn't surprise me at all. Like, considering these people's styles, McGregor's ability to turn people's aggression against them. We saw that in the famous 13-second KO of Jose Aldo when mm-hmm. Aldo leaped right into that counter left. So he could turn aggress- aggression against you. Poi has an ability to push a pace, and while McGregor has never been TKO'd before, he does show that ability. I mean, he does show that tendency to wilt as the fight goes on and as he gets a little bit more tired. But ultimately, with Poi's aggression, with McGregor's ability to start fast out the gates, I I don't see this fight going the distance. Connor has only gone to decision twice, and or and it was against Max Holloway going only three rounds. And then, obviously, with Nate Diaz, the five-round fight, he won. So, I obviously, I think Connor will, will finish this. I, I'm not saying it will be like a deadly knockout. I think it will be a third third round, fourth round battle of wills, and Poirier gets busted open, and it's a fight that has to be solved. Kind of like uh, Kamaro when he finished Colby Covington? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it makes sense. I. I, like I said, I'm basically going off my personal preference of, of which man I would more like to see get a, get a bigger moment out of this. Um, but it could be interesting. So then, last thing, and then we can go ahead and wrap this one up because we've been, we geeked out for about an hour and 15 minutes so far. If you were Dana White, if you can, so I, I, I know you probably, I mean, we probably all don't want to change lives with Dana White, but if you could make the next matchup for, Whoever wins the main event, what matchup do you would you make? So if it's Conor McGregor, who do you think? Do you think that he fights again soon, or if it's Poirier, who do you think he gets next? Um, something that's interesting is I remember you going on before talking about how this is 
or how when Nico was saying that this was a pay-per-view that wasn't for a championship, but do we really know for sure whether or not this is for a championship considering where Khabib is at? Like, are they, is this going to be a guy, I mean, is this going to be the winner of this fight gets crowned the champion or is there going to be a little tor- tournament that plays out with this fight, the co-main event, Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira, which is being scheduled for the future? Like, is there going to be a little mini lightweight ladder? But I, I think I, a ladder tournament would be, I mean, Dan White would make a bunch of money off that. I think that'd be a fantastic, especially with this division. Todd's bottom, if Habib is, I, I mean, we saw Dana White say, talk to Habib, or, or excuse me, Dana they White. Yeah, meeting. they had a meeting, and Habib or Dana White came out and said that he's waiting on what happens this weekend. That means to me, if Connor wins, he's probably going to see the rematch. If if Poirier wins, I don't think we we'll see the rematch. I think we'll see a ladder. I think either way, Dana White's going to be making money. <laughs> if we're being honest, it doesn't really matter if it's a ladder, um, which I think will be a lot of fun because, like I said, Oliviera has been playing fight really well. He's he, he seems really scary, so he can make a lot of noise. And then Gaethje, he deserves another shot. I mean, he just, he only, he has one loss against one of the best fighters of all time in Habib. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. I think Dana sees the possibility of Habib Connor again. I think Connor is trying to re-establish his name in a good sense in my opinion he's trying to make it a little bit better on himself um and i think if connor wins this i would not be surprised if we see connor versus habib too yeah i mean i think that's what the ufc is going based off of but then you have the added factor that this is mma and not wwe which is why when the ufc was being ready to get sold there was talk about Vince McMahon being interested, but he needed to change it so that he can control the outcome and make the star that way. Um, but I, I think either way, like you said, Dana White's going to be making money. The UFC is going to continue to roll on and be in a better place than what it was. And honestly, you know, just like how the podcast, we say that 2021 is going to be bigger than the last year. I think as big as 2020 was for the UFC and how well they were able to handle the pandemic, they have a big chance to even make an, another step forward and they've been trying to become that next pro sports league like the NFL, like the NBA. They've been trying to make that push to be the next mainstream sport. And I maybe this year is the year that does it. And, and it probably comes more quickly based off of McGregor winning this, this fight against Poirier. But either way, I think we're we're inching closer to MMA being a little bit more mainstream. I mean, they had a great end to the year than your first pay-per-view. It's similar to what we had last year. Last year, the first pay-per-view was Connor. Um, I think having the first pay-per-view be Connor this year, I think it brings the world back in because obviously the fight with Holloway this past weekend was only fight night. But having that first of the year where people are like, damn, I really miss UFC because for three four weeks they didn't have it. And having your first pay-per-view back be Connor McGregor against Poirier, two fighters who – are beloved in the sport, mm-hmm. what better way to do that? And Dana White, like you said, the, I mean, I'll be honest, I'd love to switch bases with him because the man is a multi-billionaire and he knows what the hell he's doing. He's just a dick. He's just, he's just, he's just, oh, yeah. yeah, he Flaming. sometimes gets on people's nerves. So um, Dana White's a genius as much of a dick he can be. He's a genius. Yeah. And to, and yeah, to counter, to counter that, like, even though I did call him a flaming dick, he is also Though you do got to give him credit for spearheading, you know, the UFC back in the mid two thousands and carrying it to where it is. Having right two now. very rich best friends and mm-hmm. the Fertitta brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in terms of like the UFC maintaining popularity and becoming like another sport like the NFL and the NBA, I think that's a little hard considering how 
up and down it could be depending on whether or not you have star people competing. But mm. back in 2016, something that made the UFC so successful is that Ronda Rousey competed and Conor McGregor competed three times. So a UFC that's flourishing and a UFC that remains relevant and extremely popular is a UFC where Conor McGregor is actively competing. And right now in this landscape, if Khabib isn't around and if there's exciting challengers and exciting contenders that Conor knows that he has more of a chance to go out there and perhaps he doesn't have to worry about the ground game of a Khabib, maybe he does stick around. Maybe that does encourage him to go up there and fight the Gaethje's and the Poyers of the world. Maybe he's a little bit more inclined to staying. He did come out and say, apparently report that he wanted to fight three more times. So it's, he, he wanted to say that. I mean, obviously we got to take everything Connor says with a grain of salt because he's retired four times. So we can't, we can't hate him. We can't really take too much into that, but obviously he wants to fight more. But I mean, without Habib, UFC is just going to be just fine because we're forgetting about John Jones moving up to heavyweight yep. and all the fun matchups that's going to happen. And Francis Ngannou is going to get a title shot soon. So and everybody there's a, loves to watch the Predator fight. Yeah, so there's a lot of different storylines. And without Habib, UFC will be just fine. Obviously, they'd love to have him. And have with him. him, but yeah. Yeah, they'll be just fine. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for everybody who has been missing MMA on the Unhinged Sports Network, this is about an hour and a half of all, as much MMA geekdom that, as I've done for a while. Thank you, Rev, for coming on. And, Thanks for having me. And, and when we have more of these events coming up, we'll be sure to have you back on the show. And we'll definitely talk to Jim. Jim, if you're listening to this episode, we might have a writer that will be more consistent than what we have so far. Rev, is uh, he does do a lot of the, the written word, and, and he does good takes on that. So we'll talk to him about that. But, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. And we'll see if Nico redeems himself from the last time that we did the MMA pick <laughs> Yeah, my MMA pick is just as good as my college football pick him. Not good at all. Yeah. It's basically picking hats in a straw. Um, yeah, I remember last time, we I think we picked Adesanya versus Costa, and there was another title fight there that we picked. And I picked Costa to dominate, and he got his ass run into. So uh, hopefully, I mean, I, hopefully I don't get too bad, too embarrassed this time. No, I, I think if anything, I'll probably be the one that was embarrassed because I only know the main, the co-main and main event. But Rev, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media and everything? Yeah, so my Twitter and my Instagram is at Rev Coca and. My Twitter is typically where I stick to more of my sports related stuff. So if you wanna if you wanna read my lukewarm tweets over there, then yeah, twitter.com at RevCoca. Live lukewarm. He has been in a Twitter beef with a MMA heavyweight before. So it's not just lukewarm. Obviously you can find the this podcast at its normal time, one to three PM Eastern on the Unhinged Sports Network, Wednesdays. Available on demand right after and then YouTube comes out Thursdays. This episode will be out on YouTube on Monday instead of the center of attention. So if you want to see everything that's going on, if you tuned in see late. See how dumb we were on our picks <laughs> if you, from the Saturday before. Yeah, and if you tuned in late on ColorCast and wanted to catch the full show, you can find it, like I said, Friday at 10 a.m. on our feed, 11.30 on the Unhinged Sports Network, Mountain Time, and then YouTube Monday. But this has been a lot of fun. I mean, we'll be back next week, and, and you and I will get to go over how, how stupid we probably were and and talk, we'll go into a big recap about oh, especially the co-main and main event. Oh, 100%. We'll, we'll be biting our words. Like, sorry, next like next week. I mean, we got to guard ourselves a little bit because we have a, a lot of 50, big 50 problems coming up forward for that, all that. But, uh, yeah, a lot, a, lot, a lot of good stuff coming forward from us. Well, we were glad to have you back on, Rev. 
Um, and uh, we had to get another big, big UFC card like this. Had to have you on for your expert uh, takes. Yeah, so with that, for The Problem, Rev Coco, my co-host Nico, Bryant, myself, Jimmy Pilato, Boomer, our unofficial okay, mascot. Okay, Boomer. Okay, yeah. Boomer. This has been The Far End of the Bench MMA bonus episode, UFC 257. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. When the night is cold and lonely This is a dollar belt was it the money that made me a savage? Popping them prices, I made it a habit. Towing them pictures and serving them addicts. That was exciting to me. I'm so excited to be. Started with nothing, we had to inspire to be. Elephants again, hey to me. I'm getting to it. Feel like the man, I got the plan. I call the shooters, they out with the van. Play with the squad, get piled like a sand. Piled like a perk, I'm going here. I'm going crazy, I'm everywhere sticking up for niggas. That music, I look a sand. I'm in the kitchen, compressing the bird. Take out a nine and I say,